to open it to the book of Matthew will be in chapter 13. Looking at verses 1 to 23. Chapter 13, verses 1 to 23. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word this morning. Beginning in verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And he, as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 10, Then the disciples came and they said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them." But blessed are your eyes, Jesus says, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been taken or what has been sown in in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and but when tribulation, tribulation or persecution arises on account of me, on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case, a hundredfold, and another sixty, and in another thirty. Amen. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. 
Heavenly Father, as we often ask, we pray that you would open our eyes and our ears, that we may truly see and hear things otherwise we could not. Would you work in our hearts by your Spirit, softening hard ground, pointing out the thorns and the thistles that so choke the Word. Would you even create spaces for the roots to grow deep in our life that we may grow, that we may produce a fruit as your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you are probably aware, we are beginning our winter-spring series this morning, and this will run all the way up to Easter. We'll finish it on Easter Day, which I'm looking forward to. And uh, because of that, this sermon will be a, a mashup of introduction and the first parable. For you Ravens fans, don't worry, I will have you out of here by three o'clock. Don't worry about that. But just a recap, because there has been some thought as to what we have been doing and what we, are, we will be doing. Uh, last fall, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, which was about life in the kingdom. And then we looked at for the past three weeks, fruitfulness, goals for the year, right? But also this idea that we keep hearing, uh, and as we heard this morning in our text about fruitfulness, what should we be seeing in the lives of believers? So now we're going to look at these things called the parables of the kingdom. That is what Jesus has come to share about what is the kingdom and what it is we need to know about it, why it's important, how it comes about, so on and so forth. And so by way of introduction, a question you might be having is, why study the parables of Jesus to begin with? Well, a few things. First, by the time we get to chapter 3 in Matthew, and this is chapter 4 in Mark, by the way, um, and all of the, the synoptic gospels have this parable, a third of Jesus' teaching from this point on will be in parables. And so we kind of have to deal with parables, if you will, because this is how we are going to understand Jesus and who he thought he was and what he was doing. Certainly he's not the inventor of parables, but these parables that we look at are ones that are unique to him. Uh, parables were a, a teaching tool from the Old Testament. We heard one from Isaiah as we read this text. But Jesus will, will, will take those parables and he'll use them for his day to talk about what it means to be in a Rome-occupied land and for God to potentially be working again to bring this long-awaited Messiah. Parables, first and foremost, we must remember then, are not some sort of story that offers a timeless truth, uh, some moral wrapped up inside that if we just take it and uh, think about it for a little bit, we can go on and live better lives. That would be a mistake to think of parables in that way. Rather, Jesus' parables are much different. They're not about a timeless truth. They're about what he is doing right now. Actually, Jesus' parables were his response to the questions, as we'll see, of who are you? Are you the son of David who was promised to come? Or should, will there be somebody else? To those questions, Jesus gave these parables so that he could answer in a very specific way about who he is and what he is doing and what God is doing now this very instant. And one of the things that he aims through these parables is to reprogram, so to speak, his listeners' worldviews, no least the disciples, in order to see that Jesus was God's fulfilled promise from long ago. 
One of the things we'll note here as we look at the parables, they will act as circuit breakers, as one commentary writes, of the brain as they challenge everyone's, and hopefully ours, this winter spring, our assumptions, our biases, and even our worldview as we look at Jesus afresh. But this did not always happen to everyone. If we want to understand who Jesus was, if we want to understand who he is, who he thought he was, and what God was doing in and through him, we must spend time with these parables and have them search us again. So this is what we will be doing as we head into Easter. But what is a parable? Parables are proverbs in the Old Testament. They are a teaching tool meant to help others learn by creating this fictitious scenario that allows them or you to enter into that world and discover truth as opposed to truth being simply revealed. I had a college mentor who all the time said truth discovered is greater than truth revealed. And I didn't actually understand him every time he said that. He would say it all the time. Until one day when I came to meet with him, I was a little upset because why? Well, I had just been to traffic court dealing with a ticket because I was speeding and I got pulled over and I was frustrated about it. Not just because I had to pay a ticket, but all the time it took to go to the traffic court. And he looked at me and he said, see, truth discovered is greater than truth revealed. I'm sure somebody has told you over and over, don't speed. But that didn't work, did it? You had to discover this on your own. Parables want to do just that. Except not by you living them out, but by you entering the parable and working it out in your mind, discovering its message and the challenge that ultimately changes how we think and how we live. A parable, as Klein Snodgrass says, is an expanded analogy used to convince and persuade it is an elusive narrative, according to David Stern, which is told for an ulterior purpose. Now, I don't want to labor much on a single definition of what a parable is, because actually, uh, that could go on forever. We must deal with each parable uniquely as its own. The better question is, what do parables do? Many things, but for one, as Craig Blomberg puts it, parables both conceal and reveal at the same time, leading some to discover its meaning and others to remain closed off to its meaning. A famous example of how a parable reveals, you might remember the prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel 12, when he goes to confront David uh, over his heinous sin of adultery and murder, right? He could be direct to David, right? He could, re he could reveal that truth to him, but that was risky business as a prophet going to a king trying to confront him on his sin. I mean, just consider how you feel when somebody comes at you directly to confront you on your sin. All right? In Nathan's day, that's a good way to get yourself killed. Instead, what does he do? He offers a parable of a rich man and a poor man. A rich man who has many sheep, right? And a poor man who has only one. And the rich man took that sheep. And as he told the parable, David was incited with anger and said that he would go and hunt this man down and take care of him. But as he was through that parable, that David was able to see himself, to, be, uh, to, to have his sin, as it were, revealed to him. This is what parables do. But as you notice in our reading this morning, they also conceal. Prophets like Isaiah in the Old Testament used parables to conceal, which was a form of, of judgment from God. The point of using parables in this case was to speak to an already hardened generation who refused to listen and thus love God with their heart. And as we saw in chapter 6 of Isaiah, 
God tells Isaiah to continue speaking to the people in this way so that they may what? Keep on hearing but never hear. Keep on seeing but never perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, says the Lord. Why would he do this? Well, he's not doing this. He's simply giving them what they already want, what they already have. In this way, God uses parables to conceal his truth. Parables then have the ability to act as both mercy and judgment to those willing to listen to God's word or those ignoring it. Well, Jesus will actually use parables in the very same way. He will use them, as we will see this morning, both to conceal and reveal what is going on. This is what parables do. But the goal is always to reveal. Let me make that clear, especially as we march into this series for the rest of this winter-spring period. They are always to reveal, to open our eyes, spiritually speaking, so that the parable might change us, right? That God's Word might change us and reveal new things to us, bearing fruit in those who are willing to receive the Word of God. And this is one of the main objectives for looking at the kingdom parables this winter spring, that we might, what? Listen. Receive the Word. And by that, listen, as Robert Capone writes, to what he, Jesus, has to say instead of what we are prepared to hear. Good instruction for us as we begin this series. Many of these parables will be familiar to us, none less than the one we are starting with this morning. Do not make the mistake of assuming, oh, I've heard this one before. This is a great way to go on hearing, but never understanding, seeing, and never perceiving. It is the way to assure that our hearts are dull to what God is doing in and through his word. Of course, we would say this is true about any sermon series. I digress. Instead, though, because we are looking at parables, how much more should we, though, prepare ourselves to listen, to wrestle with their meaning, to seek understanding, to risk even asking questions to make sure we are understanding who Jesus is and what he is saying. I think parables are a wonderful way to sharpen the parts of us that might have become dull and to awaken the sleepy aspects of our faith. What an exciting opportunity we have before us as we look at this series. But why kingdom parables, Ryan? Why not just the parables of Jesus, which is a wonderful series in and of itself? Great question. True, there are many categories of parables that Jesus teaches, but all of Jesus' parables in some way or another are actually about the kingdom. You can think of the kingdom of God as being the ultimate umbrella to which all of his teaching is under. What is the kingdom like? How does it come about? What are we to expect? What are we to be doing if we should decide to want to follow this king and be a part of his kingdom? These types of questions, at the least, Jesus' entire ministry and his mission was about not the kingdom of God coming, but that the kingdom of God is what? Here. It has arrived. And how has it arrived? In him. What does that mean? What are we to do with that? That's what we're after in this series. Blomberg again writes, For Jesus, the kingdom referred more to a power than to a place more to a rule or reign than to a realm. In short, it referred to God's kingship, taking on new and great dimensions on earth, inaugurated with Christ's first coming, but to be consummated only in his return. 
We as Westerners do not traffic much with the words of king and kingdom. We had a little tiff about that over 200 years ago, and we have moved on. So it'll do us well to work harder at understanding these words that we do not traffic in much about kings and kingdoms. But do not be fooled, friends. You have kings among you. They're just not in the flesh. They are what we would refer to as the desires of our heart that, they go at, that we go after all the time. And it would do us well to explore the idea and understanding of what Jesus means and what is, in general, the kingdom of God as a Christian. But there is a second reason for studying the kingdom parables, and it is for us to gain, or should I should regain, should I say regain, kingdom perspective. And why? Well, one, if you are a new believer here, or maybe you're just interested in Christianity, this is a wonderful place to start. This is a wonderful topic for you to begin understanding who Jesus is. We believe that everything about the Scriptures exalt Christ, point to Christ. We believe that all of life's meaning finds itself in Christ. Nothing less than beginning with the kingdom of God in which he is promising to bring and says is here because he's here, begins that journey of understanding just why we would exalt Christ in the way that we do, just why that we would think that all of time and space and history has meaning because of him. In short, it's a great place to start to understand what it means to be a Christian and follow Jesus. But you are probably already thinking, Ryan, there's probably a second reason why we're doing this, right? An ulterior motive, if you will. And of course there is, and I will reveal that to you um, and not keep it in parable. Um, I'm, coming, I'm coming to the end of my third year here, and it's crazy to even say that. And the experts who study all this uh, tell you that it takes three years for you to get settled and for others to get settled with you. So we'll just assume that they're right, three years, okay? The session and myself have been asking, okay, what do we want the next three years to look like, right? Um, perhaps at this point, you're beginning to trust me. I love you. Maybe you're willing to stay. Maybe you, whatever the case is, what's next, Ryan? And so we want to take the next three years actually to begin thinking about what is our vision and mission in this place. Perhaps taking uh, many things that have come from behind or in the past from Wallace's uh, history, but also what are the new things that God might be pointing us to in this time, in this place. And as much as I would love to lock myself in a room, actually this isn't true, but as much as uh, I would like to lock myself in a room and create some wonderful um, vision, right, that, that gets sent down from headquarters that you guys will just, you know, agree with, we don't want to do that, right? We want you to be a part of this. We want your insight. We believe that the Spirit is not just among some of us, but is among what? All of us. And so what would it look like for all of us together to be thinking about what does God want for the Wallace Presbyterian Church for the next 10, 20, 30 years? Well, to do that, we don't need to zero in at this point. We need to back up. We need kingdom vision. What is it that God wants for this place? Not necessarily what we might want for this place or what we wish we would return to. What does God want for this church and for this place and time? And what is he doing? And you guys have the answers to that. 
As much as the session and myself want to lead in this direction, we want to do this together. And so down the road, we will be creating ways for us to have conversations about this, for us to hear how the Spirit is at work in your life and what you see God doing through Wallace over the past three years for sure, but what you feel like he is drawing us towards down the road. Why? So that we can, as a unified people, right, release the gifts of God's people towards a unified goal as much as possible. Will this be easy? No, it never is. But this is how we're going to start. By backing up and beginning with the kingdom of God, right? The horizon that we are all on, gaining that perspective that we might be people, uh, kingdom-minded people, gaining knowledge for how to have a kingdom perspective in uh, kingdom living for this place. Well, how will we do that? Well, That's what brings us to our first parable. All right, many ways in which we'll do this, right? Many ways in which we'll begin to have this kingdom perspective. But to this morning, our parable presents one way. And this is the only thing you're taking away this morning. The way we'll do that is by listening. Listening. Not to Ryan's thoughts, but to God's word. In other words, receiving. Receiving. A phrase that is often heard around our house, actually I heard it before I came up here during uh, Marty's uh, presentation, is um, somebody is speaking. If you have kids in your uh, house, maybe you've heard that before as well, which implies what? You should stop talking. That's the kindest way to put it. But somebody's speaking, you should be what? Listening. And that's what we're going to do this morning. That's what this parable instructs us to do in order for what? for us to be refreshed as kingdom-minded people, gaining kingdom-minded perspective for kingdom living, beginning with listening to Jesus' words. This is what the first parable, the first kingdom parable um, that we get to is about. So let us turn to that now. Quite possibly, as I said, one of the most famous and certainly most familiar parables is the sower. It is in every synoptic gospel, and the synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And if it's in every gospel, chances are they really wanted you to pay attention to this. And I agree. It's important. Uh, But it's not just the parable itself that's important. We'll we'll keep coming back to it, I'm sure, over the weeks. It's actually the timing of the parable in Jesus' ministry that's so important as well. See, these parables, as I said before, and 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 I'll labor here to say it again, they are not timeless truths with little cute morals for us to take and go on and be better people. They are Jesus' response to who he thought he was, to the questions he was asked about Who are you? Should we expect someone else to come? Are you the son of David? Which means that he is giving us the answers to those questions in cryptic nature and parable form, both wanting to reveal and to conceal the truth at the same time. We'll understand why in just a second. But Jesus' parables, first and foremost, tell us something what? About him. And that's our goal as we head into this series. They tell us something about him and what God was doing in the world through him. Yes, we must find ourselves in the parable, and we will, but not before we understand why Jesus was giving this parable and what he was trying to communicate in the first place. And in this first parable, parable, Jesus is saying, I am the one that God has promised, the son of David. And those who receive me, yes, the word made flesh, belongs the kingdom. This is why the kingdom comes about by listening. Verse 1 reads, that same day, that same day. What about that day? 
Matthew wants to connect this story, this parable, to what has just happened in chapter 12. And what was that? What just happened? Well, people have been witness to Jesus' ministry. They have seen his miracles. And as they see his miracles, people begin to cry out and ask the question. You can go back and look at it. Can this be the son of David? Jesus is starting to get a lot of attention, as we know at this point in his ministry, as he heals and as he casts out demons back in chapter 8 through 10. People are asking if this is the long-awaited Messiah, as John the Baptist did, or should we wait for somebody else, right? To some, this is good news, and they have decided to follow him and hear more about what this Jesus would say. To others, though, this is a problem, namely the Pharisees. You might say the Pharisees are not prepared to receive this word, to receive what God is doing. In fact, their response to Jesus back in chapter 12 is that he is a drunkard or he is controlled by Satan himself. Why else would anybody sit with prostitutes and tax collectors, right? They are closed up to what the kingdom is doing and what it is about. But in other words, there is, as we start this very first verse, division happening everywhere in Israel about who Jesus is, and he is at the middle or in the middle of it. So what does Jesus do at this point as people begin to question him, as people begin to argue whether he is this or isn't that? Does he pack up and go home? No. He shifts his teaching style, among other things, right? But he shifts his teaching method. Miracles and direct speech, as I've already uh, pro proven, uh, about who Jesus is, or should I say about what something is, right? If you're trying to prove something, they're not that helpful. They must discover this. And so to the religious leaders of the day, going around telling somebody that I am the son of David, that is going to snuff out your ministry really quick. Yet to others who might agree with you, right, but at the same time think that, oh, yes, this is the long-awaited king, the long-awaited Messiah who's going to come in with power and overthrow the Roman oppressors, and we will have power and control. Maybe that's not the message that Jesus' kingdom is going to bring either. So what, what do you do? You shift. You begin talking in more indirect ways. Ways that allow those willing to listen and hear receive the message, while those who are hardened up are not even willing to give it a good listen to not hear. You speak in parables. That same day, Jesus got in a boat and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And what does he do? He uses the, the, the boat as a pulpit and he gives this parable finishing with he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, to the questions of who are you? Jesus tells a boring story about seeds and soil and people leave. You can imagine the disciples at this point, right? They're probably pretty excited about all the attention they're getting. And here's this big moment for Jesus. It's so big, he's got to go out in the water on a boat and preach to uh, so, many, so many people that they fill the shoreline. And all he has to offer is about four or five lines on soil and seed. <laughs> Which is why they go to him and say, what are you doing? Like, you're losing the crowd, man. <laughs> what about some of those miracles? Why do you speak in parables? Verse 11, to you, he says, has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. By the way, kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are the same thing. Matthew, writing to a more Jewish audience, will use the indirect phrase, kingdom of heaven, not to use God's name, just in case there was confusion about that. But he says, but to them it has not been given. Who's that? Those who've just walked away. Oh, I've heard this one before. I know about sowing. I'm a farmer. Mm. 
I don't know if this is the Messiah. But he continues, verse 12, for to the one who has, and this is probably the most confusing part of the parable, more will be given, but he will, he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak in parables. I don't know if you are like me, but if I'm the disciples, I'm scratching my head at this point. But what's the point? Conceal, reveal. It actually sounds a lot like Isaiah, which is quoted next. What's happening here? You begin to get this picture of who Jesus is saying that he is. As one of the prophets in line of those prophets, preaching a message that is like Isaiah. But now God is finally acting. Jesus is saying this is how the kingdom comes. Not through power or the sword, but by listening, by receiving the word. And for those who would listen, more will be given. For those who ignored it, ignored me or wrote me off or, or left, what they have will be taken away. The crucial question in Jesus' answer here is verse 12, which I want to direct your attention back to. What does he mean by has? Has what? The one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But, Jesus has, Jesus, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Has what? Has ears. Has listening. In other words, the one who has received Jesus. And his message of the kingdom. Not that it is coming. Not that he is just another prophet pushing a message that has been pushed before but that it is here now in him. This is what the parable is saying about Jesus. God has sent his promised son of David in Jesus, but just like the people of Isaiah's day, many would not listen. They are hard-hearted, right? They worshiped other rulers, other things. Many still had been taken in, taken in and tangled up by the cares of this world, such as money and pleasure and, and other things. And they had no time for this. But now is the time for listening, Jesus says. Now is the time for receiving because God is finally acting to redeem his people as promised in Jesus Christ. For those who have ears to hear, let them hear. They get more. And why? Because they have Jesus. And that's where he leaves them in verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, he says to the disciples. For they see in your ears, for they hear, right? What, still, scratching my head if I'm a disciple, what they don't realize is that without knowing it, the disciples are actually, and take comfort in this, acting out the very parable that they're confused about. They're acting it out by what? Going after Jesus. Asking him questions about what the heck are you talking about? They are what, friends? Listening receiving. They're letting the words, as it were, sit in the soil of their hearts and do its job, which looks like investigation. Not writing off Jesus or religious things as some sort of hocus-pocus that we don't pay much attention to as modern people. Not writing off Jesus as a drunk or a glutton because he associates with the wrong kind of people. It looks like consideration, not leaving and going home because a story about seeds and soil. Well, it's not really that exciting. I'd rather go put on Netflix. It looks like repentance. 
giving up ways of life that contradict the ways and virtues of the kingdom. But most of all, it looks like seeing that this kingdom is a kingdom of grace. A God who, in fact, is acting in Jesus Christ in spite of hard hearts, to which all of us can say amen to this morning. The disciples and many others, I might add, have ears to hear at this point, and that, my friends, is what matters. They, like all of us, don't understand everything that Jesus is saying, nor do they pretend to even understand uh, what it means to, for the kingdom of God to be here now. The crucial point is they are willing to ask another question. They are willing to investigate. For this is how the kingdom comes. Not by some direct act of power where God snaps his fingers um, and overthrows Rome or the rulers, which many wanted in that day and age. And dare I say, many are wanting today. Why won't you act now, Lord? It's not what he does. And we can be frustrated at that. Instead, he chooses to act slowly, methodically, such as a seed would go into soil and produce a fruit. He acts in gentle ways. Dare I say, vulnerable ways. And he encourages us to do the same. To open ourselves up to the realities of his kingdom. To receive what he has given us in Jesus Christ. Bruner writes, everything depends on listening. Where the word is heard, everything has been done that a human being can do. Wrestle with that, please. The fruit-bearing is then an affair of the word itself. So it is for us this morning. And where do we begin with Jesus then? With gaining this kingdom perspective, we begin with listening. And I'm sorry if you showed up looking for some magical, more fancy approach to kingdom, to Christianity, <laughs> to what it means to be a disciple not the power that some want or some are even expecting today, but here's what it is. It's something that everyone in this room can do. You can listen. You can receive God's word. To you who are willing to do that, you have something, and much more will be given. And so the question we're left, we, we will leave here with is, what soil are you this morning? And this is the question we'll carry with us all the way up till Easter. We'll carry it with us for the rest of our lives, but for the sake of the series. What soil are you this morning? And he gives us three tests. This is the explanation of this parable, right? What's the first soil? The hard soil, right? The ground that is so packed because the wheels of whatever, the carriage have rolled over it so much, it is like concrete, and the seeds that go out just bounce off of it. What is he saying? You are listening, what, with a hardened heart. Don't do that. For some of us in this room who are listening with hardened hearts, it, it, it might be that, that, that religion and Christianity in general, well, it's just theoretical to you. It's not real. You've hardened yourself away from what is true, what is life-giving in Christ. And Jesus is offering you the opportunity to say, don't listen with that. Don't be that type of soil. For us in this series, would we pray that we might ask God to what? Soften the parts of our heart that are hardened towards him. That we'd be amazed and thrilled by his word that is revealed to us, uh, that shows us the beauties of Christ and his mercy and his grace, how it is real 
as real as the bread and the wine is that we are about to take and drink in just a moment? Would you be willing to make yourself vulnerable to ask the Lord to reveal himself to you? Or there's that second type of soil. It's the shallow, rocky soil where the seed does take root a little bit, but there's not enough soil there for it to really grow roots. And so what happens, right? The weather comes out, the sun comes out, and it, and it dries up and it goes away. We might refer to this as responding with what? An emotional experience to God, right? It's a shallow heart. I might be somebody who has come because I want to be with certain friends, and I've heard a little bit about Jesus, and I've gotten excited about it. I'm about to go have a mountaintop experience next weekend, which will be awesome. But what does Jesus say? What happens when suffering comes? And your faith doesn't give you what you thought it was going to give you. See, Jesus is preaching to people who don't want the kingdom of God. They want God to come into their kingdom, to give them what they want. And so when suffering comes, oh, and it will, they're gone. They do not have the roots, as it were, to sustain uh, that type of season. And so would we pray that the Lord would reveal to us over the course of these next several months, Lord, how am I superficially moving and navigating through life as a believer? but really I'm not interested in you. What would that do to us? Lastly, do not listen with a divided heart. This is the third soil where weeds spring up and choke out the growth of that plant. And this is the cares of the world. We looked at it at the Sermon on the Mount. All right. There's, there's a desire there to be a believer, to receive that word, but there are so many other things that your, heart has been, that your heart has been given over to, right? Power, pleasure, money, as he mentions. In other words, this is where Jesus says, kingdom, like, you cannot serve two masters. Who's it going to be? When Jesus calls us, he wants all of us. So for some of us over the next several months, it is praying and asking the Lord, would you have mercy on me to reveal to me the ways that my heart is divided, that my heart is going after other things so that it won't be permanently choked out so as not to produce a fruit, so as not to be rooted in Jesus uh, and, and to grow as he has called me to grow. That we may what? Instead be the fourth soil, the soil that produces a fruit. I'll leave you with this as you think about what type of soil you are as we move forward in this, in this series. The point of this, the point of all of this, <clears throat> is not to become a better Christian. It's not to put on airs. It's not to even feel like you're doing it. It's to be close to Jesus. If you go back to verse 12, those who have, remember that? Those who have what? Have listening have received Jesus. What is he saying to his disciples? Those who have me. That's what this is about. Your questions, your investigation isn't necessarily a sign that you are not believing or that you're not a believer. It actually might mean that you're closer to Jesus than some of us veterans out here who have been living in the church for years. Go after him. This is what he asks. This is what he wants. And if you're looking for a place to begin, like where do I start? Come back next week. 
Let me hear more from this Jesus. But for now, being a part of God's kingdom means being close to this man, Jesus. And whether you are a young disciple, new disciple, veteran disciple in this room, all of this was and is and will be about one thing. It is about being close to him. And that is what we're after. For those who have ears to hear, let him hear. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We pray that we would be good soil, and this is your mercy on us. And so we ask that as we hear your word, as we study it over the weeks to come, as we pray it in our own devotional times, as we sing it, even while we're driving in the car, that it would penetrate deep into the places of our heart, that it would continue to change us more like you, that that would look like love for you, a desire to be close to you, to never want to be apart from you. For where you are, so is your kingdom. Would you create in us a heart that desires that more than anything else in this world? Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.